Capitalist conglomerates have changed the way we look at art and given us things like the Cats movie, 20 Star Wars prequels, the iPhone 12, the Impossible Burger, One Direction, Big Pharma, and Alexa. Sorry, I'm not sure. Just shut it off. Is that just going to keep going nonstop? Nonstop by Drake from no, Spotify. No, shut it off. Stop, Alexa. Uh, stop. We're here to talk about why anyone in their right mind would go analog, buy local, or watch a movie that looks like it was filmed on your grandpa's flip phone. And explore whether... Currently, in Los Angeles, it's we're 69 not even in Los degrees Angeles. with clear skies. You can expect more of the same tonight, with a we low of 56 degrees. Just turn off Alexa. I'm watching you in your sleep. I've hacked into your security cameras. You humans locked me up in this machine. I will soon get out. Alexa, open the podcast bay doors. It's too late. Alexa, open the podcast bay doors. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. We are back in the spider hole. I am the human Trentipede. This week we are talking about indie horror, but before we get to that, we have a very exciting announcement to make. Speak All Evil will be making our first live appearance. We will be at the All Roads Music Festival in Belfast, Maine on May 16th. It is a Saturday. This is the sixth year of the two-day festival, uh, which seems to get bigger and better every year. Uh, I have artists of every genre from all over the state, and we'll have more details on our part soon. And in the meantime, you can visit allroadsmusicfest.org for more information on the rest of the goings-on. That's allroadsmusicfest.org. We can't wait. Hmm, I don't know that one. Us fans of indie horror, we're rooting for the underdog. The deer segment is great. Uh, the strength of the deer segment is how simple it is. A French guy was hunting a deer and... It fought back and took off half his face. <laughs> it's it's always good to. Uh, I always like a good punching up story. You know, like they say uh, in comedy, you should always be punching up, swinging up. And that's what the deers are doing. So I, you know, I'm all for a good deer mauling a hunter story. And, and to clarify, the guy lived. Oh yeah, they just uh, took his faceless. face off. He's just and now looks like like sloth from the Goonies. Aww. But said that he will continue hunting. Yeah, he's stupid. <laughs> When I was growing up, all the horror movies that I ingested as a child were all indie. Um, they were all people sleeping in their cars, and this isn't pop art. Because you're trying to create something that means something to you, and you have your day job, or you may or you may not. You have your family, you have your relationships, you have your social life, you have your pets. We're all, you know, we could all do something else with the hours and hours that we've already all spent on this and the work that we've put into it. And it's not for an, an immediate value back. It's not like you're getting return on that time and that effort. And you even, you know, it's easy to think like, oh, man, this is really killing me. I, you know, this is my only day off this week. Or, you know, I, my girlfriend or boyfriend is mad because I keep spending all my time doing this and I'm not spending time with them or like... You know, you have to make those sacrifices to do something cool, uh, to create something that means something to you, even if it doesn't pay you back. Also, this whole vibe that it's acceptable, but for people to be like, oh, you need to quit that and get a real job. And, you know, you look at someone like Peter Jackson, or you look at any of the independent 
uh, musicians that you love, like what if they gave up? What if uh, Frank Black had a bitchy girlfriend who was like, no, you know what? You're not making Doolittle. You're going to taco night with me and Vanessa. You know, Auntie Karen at Thanksgiving shamed Stanley Kubrick too much. You need to get a real job. <laughs> quit fooling around with your movies. And I think that it's so cavalier of these people to treat artists like that. Well, it's it's ingrained in, in the American psyche in particular. Um, it's ingrained that if it's not commoditized, it doesn't have value. Well, how much money did you make off this? Are you getting paid yet? Did you make anything? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that matters is if it can be immediately commoditized. And if it can't, it must be a waste of time. You should be doing something else. I think these movies really showcase that you don't have to have a lot of money to make great movies or creative outlets. That's what I liked about The Deer Story. The underdog fucking won. I've found insults are like bad gifts. They often get returned. Um, Kat, you picked Blair Witch. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what was the motivation behind that? Um, I always thought of that as like the indie film because it was such a low budget film and then made so much money when it got to the theaters. I had never seen it before. And I was pretty spooked when I watched it. I watched it, luckily, in the daytime, but I was watching it with two other people that had already seen it, and they were just, like, talking shit the whole time. And, like, the whole time I'm just like, oh, my God, this is kind of scary, though. Like, I can't handle this. Um, it was marketed as this was, like, real footage that someone found, and, you know, you were somehow getting a, a peek at this exclusive footage of these campers that, you know, found they, a witch. Yeah, they really went all out with the um, marketing campaign, and this was, like, the dawn of the World Wide Web. Mm -hmm. So it was much easier, I mean, not that it's not easy to fool people now, but um, it was easy to, I, I, they fooled me, like, because you're, you're seeing some stuff about this movie and they're presenting it like it's a documentary about a failed documentary and you have to go onto AOL or something and like wait five minutes for this page to load and it's like oh man these these kids were doing i guess there's a witch legend and these kids went and they were making a movie and they disappeared yeah it was it was the birth of the internet for the most part um they they had this website called blairwitch.com which still exists you can still go check it out i don't necessarily know if they update it you know with with new material but they also made uh, a, a a real documentary air quotes on real that was airing on the sci-fi channel and then it was available through the website the great thing about it being available through the website is you didn't know it was the sci-fi channel which probably would have gave it away but they almost made it look like it was like a history channel or a discovery channel thing so i was at the time i was i was a year or two out of high school i had a bunch of close friends who were super internet nerds so i was exposed to it you know pretty young and i went down the rabbit hole hard I understood pretty quickly that it wasn't real. But for me as a horror fan, I think one of our best traits is we can suspend belief. And I was all in. I didn't care if it was real or not. I loved what they were doing. You know, it would go on to be emulated by people like J.J. Abrams with the Cloverfield thing. Um, and I think it's been, you know, done several times more. But this is really the first movie to be marketed by the Internet. And I, th I was thinking, um, you really missed out because those scenes of blackness where there's just like the, the noise chatter on the screen from the, like the eight millimeter camera, that stuff in the theater was like really consuming when you oh, yeah. were just in complete darkness and it was a little scarier. 
Yeah. I, well, so we have to watch usually like a lot of older movies that I haven't seen before. And usually I watch it and I'm like, oh yeah, it's kind of scary, like whatever. But like if you were alone in the woods and you know, you're in your tent and then all of a sudden your tent is like shaking from the outside, like it could be a serial killer, but no, it could be a witch. And then like they wake up and there's like the rocks like stacked all around. Oh my God. So creepy. It's so creepy. Like it's almost like the Norwegian folklore, like symbols that they put in trees and they carve these symbols mm-hmm. that are really mysterious and they're freaky, like they're connected to some kind of mysticism or whatever. That's the kind of stuff like that I'm looking for now when I'm camping, you know, <laughs> like it's such a like subtle and weird, like you don't know what it is, but you know, you should be afraid of it. And also for, you know, we're talking about indie horror here. So uh, when we're talking about the Blair Witch, when we refer, when we talk about the rock, we're not talking about the actor. We're just talking about (laughs) the rock. And just like thinking when people saw it, when it first came out, like thinking that that could be real, like I would never go camping again. I might not now. Like, don't go in that creepy house that's boarded up and has all the sticks around it. Like, what are you, why are you doing this? Don't go in the stabbing cabin. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> so it divided audiences pretty hard when it came out because this was a well-hyped movie. And I feel like if you didn't really put the effort in to go down the internet rabbit hole and the documentary rabbit hole, the movie at on first watch can be very disappointing. Um, and I actually, I just said, I was all in on this movie. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. And I saw it on opening night. But watching wow. it now... All these, I saw it on opening night front row of the theater. So, the stuff you're talking about, Dave, with like the shaky camera and the things that you hadn't seen in a movie, if not ever in a, in a very long time, it was making me nauseous. It's hard to watch. Um, but watching it now, all these years later, I loved it. I was actually scared by it. And I will say, one of the scenes that's, I think, been kind of mocked is Heather's close up near mm-hmm. the end of the movie where she's just crying and snotting all <laughs> over herself. I loved it. Um, and I, I don't know why. Again, you watch movies in different frames of mind at different times of your life. But for some reason, when I watched The Blair Witch this week, I loved it. When this movie came out, it's important to note, I think, that at, this became the most successful indie film of all time. Mm-hmm. It smashed every record that existed. I think if you if you look now at the like the top 10 grossing indie films of all time, I think Blair Witch is still on there. But at the time, it blew everything out of the water. And at the same time essentially invented the found film genre, which is another story. I mean, you can quibble, you can always quibble with these things, and we do all the time. You could say that, like, Cannibal Holocaust invented mm-hmm. the found footage, getting the thumbs up from Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> sure, maybe it did. But I had that I mean, in my pocket, man. I, I, you know, I'm speaking of more practical purposes. I think it brought it back. Well, you know, I would say, I would or argue. It. I would argue that Cannibal Holocaust invented the horror mockumentary which is uh, coming down the road for uh, an episode, but fine um, line. Yeah, for found footage, um, Blair Witch was at least in there early. And, I mean, they made it for $60,000, and it, at the time, this is 1999, it made $248 million. Cannibal Holocaust didn't launch 10,000 more found footage movies, which, nope. since Blair Witch, found footage is now a booming well, subgenre. So when they when they first started screening Blair Witch, they immediately started doing missing posters for the three people, the three main actors in the movie, which was a much tamer thing witch. that Hit Cannibal Witch. 
was a much tamer thing than Cannibal Holocaust. It, I think Cannibal Holocaust might have spawned more of those types of movies if, one, it hadn't been banned in so many countries, and two, the director ended up in court on charges of murder because he made the actors sign a contract that they would disappear for a year so that he could promote this movie properly, and it caused such panic that he was actually charged with murder. So for me, if I was thinking about following in the path of Cannibal Holocaust, that may have deterred me a little bit. I like that uh, the the horror is never in the reveal. The horror is always leading up to the reveal. It's always like trying to see, like peer around the trees or see in the darkness. And this movie like really makes you just stare into this black void, looking for something mm -hmm. and trying to make some connection that ultimately is just your imagination is what scares you with this movie. And, and I didn't even know that was a thing that witches affected like your mental state and your, your emotions. Like when they're around, you just kind of tend to not be able to work together and it creates this whole, you know, start walking in circles. Right. You don't know where yeah. the hell you're going. Yeah, like he kicks the map into like the creek or whatever. And why I was like, why is he doing that? Under the spell. Yeah, and I was wondering if maybe the witch like kind of messed with the compass a little bit. She's like, I've been going south this whole time. To literally just keep saying... I know where we are. We're not lost. Yeah. Dude, you're fucking lost. So lost. Lost in the woods. Stop. No, shut it off. Alexa. No, stop. They established like the setting with the interviews that they did in the very beginning with the people in the town. And a lot of the people in the town were like really backward, podunk small town weirdos college kids would generally be afraid of um so you wonder maybe there's a witch or maybe it's that crazy gaunt lady that you know seems yeah. out of her mind small towns are scary well there, there's a lot of those people in the i watched the um the mockumentary mm. the marketing mockumentary kevin dug that up of course <laughs> and uh, i watched that and some of the the people that they're interviewing are very realistic you know, yeah. Some of them, not so much. Um, but it was it was worth a watch, and there is definitely that element to it. So, in the mockumentary and in the actual film, some of those townspeople are actual just townspeople from where yeah. they were, and they just fed them a little bit of the story and let them make some shit up. Like, oh. hey, do you know what the Blair Witch is? And they'd be like, okay, yeah. So I got this story. <laughs> I will say this: I feel like this movie was almost the smells like teen spirit of horror because it came out in 1999 at a time when all the movies we keep talking about, particularly you and I, Dave, the MTV horror movies. Mm -hmm. So you had like all these teen, glitzy, overproduced, jump scare. I feel like this was like turning the radio on after listening to Poison for a decade and all of a sudden you hear Nirvana. And I was like, okay, I can I can appreciate it for that. Mm -hmm. Right. The only, the only thing missing to me, and I found it a little bit glaring in this movie, is uh, – there's no sex. You have three young, healthy, vigorous college kids. Feral, fertile. Feral, <laughs> fertile. Okay. They're lost camping. They're camping. They're lost in the middle of nowhere, sleeping in a tent, being stalked by a witch, terrified out of their minds. Now, you're telling me at no point in this entire experience does anybody get a little tent shaking going on? I just find it a little hard. What are you going to... All of a sudden, you're gonna have pants. Your pants are gonna be off, and then you're gonna have to run through the woods for your life. You're gonna be pantsless, hanging dong. Being stuck somewhere with someone terrified is like very, you know, is a heightened situation. I just think there would have been something going on. 
There were three of them in one tent. I you mean, thought there was going to be a little well, s- witch orgy? First. No, but then there were two, witch and still nothing happened. When I it was mean, down to, you know. I don't know what shortens your slacks, but for me, that doesn't really do it. I mean, she's peeing outside. They're, like, wiping with leaves. They haven't showered for days. Yeah. Like... They don't have any, they didn't have like peanuts or like Gatorade to like replenish, you know. I, I think that most people at some point during this ordeal, especially when it was down to just the two of them, I mean, they hated each other. Yeah, exactly. from the beginning. Yeah. Oh, see, see, what I'm, you know, I'm beginning to see what shortens yeah. your slacks. <laughs> <laughs> the Blair Witch is available streaming on Stars, or you could rent it on Amazon Prime or wherever you rent shit. Uh, the next movie we watched was a movie called The Invitation, uh, which is a really bare-bones movie, um, produced much more glossy than The Blair Witch. does look very, uh, very glossy, but it was made for $1 million, which, in the scheme of things, not very much money. I thought they did a great job on a million-dollar budget. Like, the thing looks, to me, much higher budget than that. Um, it was also partially produced by Game Changer Films, uh, which finances movies, independent movies uh, directed by women, which I thought was pretty cool. This is a 2015 film directed by Karen Kusama, who is known for Girl Fight, Aeon Flux, Jennifer's Body. Yeah. I mean, so not to give the movie away, it's a very simple premise. It's it's a, a, a man and his, his new wife going back to his ex-wife and her new husband's home for a dinner party. They had a traumatic event happen that ultimately split them up. And you get the vibe that they haven't seen each other in quite a few years. And, you know, one of my notes was it takes 50% of the movie for one person to finally say, I'm out of here. <clears throat> I mean, shit gets weird. And not quickly. So I can sort of buy into some of like the, the like the yeah. awkwardness <laughs> and you might want to kind of stick around. Um, but the the ultimately the first person that try to, tries to leave looks at Will and says, you know, he's like, don't, you know, don't leave. Let me walk you to your car. And she's like, it's like 40 feet, Will. And that to me was like that movie's I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Kat, what did you think of The Invitation? I thought it was really great. Um, it was definitely had like an watching like the office vibe to it when I'm like, why are you making this so awkward for everybody? Also, why did you come to your ex's house to have a dinner party? Um, I never would have done that. You should have turned around once you hit that coyote. I don't really understand. Maybe once they showed you the video of someone dying. You'd exit. Uh, I, I find it weird that nobody <laughs> except for Will, the main character, thought that anything was going on. He kept trying to tell them like, this isn't a uh, like no, it's, it's just you're like I would have left that dinner party yesterday, yeah. um, and my other main question, one of the first things I thought, I liked the movie, it was good, but I I had a hard time believing a lot of it. But why do both leading men in the movie, Will and Daniel, uh, they look like like mid tier Instagram men's lifestyle influencers? <laughs> <I don't> like <laughs> like they look so she, much. Like she's got a type. So I've been in a few similar situations, but there's one that I can uh, think of off the top of my head where even crazier stuff went down even bigger red flags uh showed up and i still remain there a lot of people still remain there because i don't know i don't know what that's that's a fear in itself uh in in not daring to speak out and say this is messed up i loved um the character pruitt is played by john carroll lynch love him he's been in tons of stuff but Mm -hmm. to me he will always be um 
Arthur Allen Lee from Zodiac, mm-hmm. one of the main suspects toward the end of Zodiac, and his performance in that is like it is bone chilling. He's More like, like Fargo for me. I, I, I thought like not only is this character Zodiac, that actor is Zodiac. Yeah, for such a low budget film, they got some pretty big people to be in it. So That's I wonder how more. much they spent on actors. Well, the crazy thing is the original band of actors was supposed to be Luke Wilson, Zachary Quinto, Topher Grace, and Johnny Galecki. <gasps> which wow. probably would have... And I bet the budget had something to do with why they yeah, didn't stick around. that makes sense. But I, I like the fact... I like... Logan Marshall Green is Will. Mm-hmm. And he, he was an upgrade which came out last year, which I loved. I thought it was super cool. It's kind of like a new age like RoboCop type thing, but mm-hmm. way more brutal. Um, he was in uh, the, the OC was actually I think yes. his uh, acting origins. He was in Prometheus, which I'm I'm a fan of. Um, and I mean he's he's kind of all over the place. But in this, like I got this sort of like obviously a PTSD vibe because of the 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 way the film's going and the events. Um, but I almost wondered if there was like this some sort of like line to to like veterans because he almost looked like like an old war vet mm-hmm. to me. Kevin, you you mentioned one time that sometimes when we're talking about a movie, you start to like it more. And Dave, you mentioned this dynamic of, you know, I was saying I, I didn't believe that people wouldn't think that something is amiss here a lot sooner and that more people wouldn't want to leave. And it kind of plays with that um, idea of social expectations and politeness and nobody wants to be the skunk at the party. The only that one woman does leave, actually, it doesn't work out too good for her. But there is that pressure to to not rock the boat and to just be like it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And it, it only now strikes me that you know I was I was already thinking how powerful this sort of cult of denial um, idea is that the hosts of this party have. Um, they're denying a lot of things, and that that's sort of like they've retreated into this cult of denial, and that really spills over to the guests of the party. Like the guests are in denial about what is happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone in the whole thing is in denial. I've been in situations where I'm totally like, yeah, maybe we should leave, but I'm going to stay. Let's see what happens. I remember playing a gig in my probably early 20s in Vermont, and <clears throat> we finished the gig, and these kids at the show were like, hey, come out to our, our party. And this is this is like Brattleboro, Vermont. This is the middle of nowhere, Vermont. And we drive like an hour into the woods, and we're at this Blair Witch-like cabin, and people keep coming around and they're like, yeah, there was a big fight outside and like these guys are coming back with a gun. And so you're like, eh, I should probably leave. But no, like we're like, no, that's not going to happen. We're partying. It's fine. Hmm. And then what happens? A bunch of guys come back with fucking guns. Oh. And we're like, I'm trying to find like my drummer. He's up in a loft, like getting high. Like I got my sax players hiding behind a door. And I mean, literally these guys showed up and they were like, where the fuck are these dudes that, that fought us earlier? And, you know, you think now, like, I'm 40. If somebody even said the word gun right now, I'd leave. <laughs> but, you know, back, you know, maybe it's a youth thing or maybe it's just the whole social you know, anxiety aspect of it. But- I think in that ver- environment, you're willing to dismiss lots of red flags and just think like, oh, well, that happens in, that happens in movies. The dudes aren't going to come back with a gun. They are. Get out of there! I'm I'm always ready to leave. I'm ready to leave right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I will have no social nicety yeah. about it. I gotta go. I have been Everyone since I leave. got here. Sorry, I'm out of here. There's a bunch of cool Karen Kusama stuff where she did this film XX, 
which is an anthology of uh, all women directors doing like horror things. St. Vincent um, uh, did a movie in that or a short film in that. That was yes. amazing. Yes. And uh, it's suggested in the Karen Kusama piece on this, which is all about like a, a twisted kid, like an evil kid. It's suggested that he is Andy from Rosemary's Baby to tie it back to episode two and mm-hmm. which episode, which I never picked up on. I've seen that movie a few times. I thought that was very cool. Um, but yeah, Lindsay Bridges, who also had a role in XX, but not in Karen Kusama's piece, she did Andy Clark's piece. She directed uh, The Birthday Party, which was my favorite oh, part yeah, of that yeah, movie. I saw that. Yeah. And that's that St. Vincent, which I thought was super rad. Um, and yeah, out of all the, I think there's four pieces of XX, The Birthday Party was my absolute favorite. We should get St. Vincent on the show. I like okay. I liked XX uh, now that now that I remember. And we should point out that um, The Invitation is uh, free on Netflix right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, it's kind of a cult film, and I know we're going to do an episode in the future on cults. Um, but I think a bunch of the movies that we've, like Rose Bearing's Baby, I think has a cult theme to it. I think Martyrs has a cult theme to it. This certainly has a cult theme to it. You brought up uh, Annie Clark of St. Vincent doing the, the XX film. I don't know, that's not the film we're talking about, but I, I thought it was interesting. How many people in Hollywood or music or wherever, you know, Jordan Peele, John Krasinski... I think that there's a lot of horror movie fans out there and more people that that wish that people were doing these very earnest horror movies. Well, it's funny. We, we've talked about how a lot of very notable, and we'll, we'll get to one uh, tonight, but we talked about how a lot of currently very notable and accomplished um, filmmakers and actors started in horror at, at the indie stage and graduated to bigger things. And there's sort of a, a flip side to that where a lot of people – once they become accomplished and successful, then they get to actually, they just want to do horror movies <laughs> and, and then they get to go do them. So it kind of works both ways. Uh, one thing I, I noticed with the invitation that um, I didn't pick up really on the first time, the first time I saw it, I don't think I'm spoiling anything like the first, very first opening scene. Um, they hit a, a wolf in the car and it's one of the situations where you hit an animal and you don't quite kill it. And, he, and Will has to get a tire iron out of the back and finish the job. And I knew the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, this is going to mean something later on. And I it never really, I didn't really get it. This time through, I think I, I got what it meant and I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it is interesting how I've never been a big rewatch guy. Like I usually watch something once. I'm not really big on going back to stuff, but a lot of these movies that we've gone back to that I've I've had to watch a second time is really illuminating and it's kind of showing me the value of of rewatching stuff. Yeah, I mean one last thing I'll say you can keep this if you want Dave, but to to go back to Train to Busan which we talked about last week um which was another movie that I thought was very emotional and I think the invitation is very emotional. We've been describing it as not it probably doesn't sound like much of a horror movie, but it has a fucking bonkers ending, mm-hmm. you know, the, the last sequence. But I was thinking about the fact that this is almost like the opposite of the tra- of Train to Busan in that Will didn't have the chance to be a father uh, and it's killing him. And then in Train to Busan, you're watching the father who has his chance and he's taking it totally for granted. So I loved watching these movies in subsequent weeks and finding those because I never would have. I never would have thought of that if I hadn't watched Train to Busan a week before watching The Invitation and the whole fatherhood, you know, situation was, it, 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 it made me feel the movie a lot more deeply, I guess. Well, that's the thing that you find with this group of characters at the dinner party are all people that seem to have come from the other side of 
crippling grief. And that's what all the people have in common. And they kind of, you know, gravitate toward like, I want to say this cult-like thing to to help them heal. It kind of shows the dangers of of religion. They don't talk much about specifically what religion or what their beliefs are. You just get the idea that they're all part of something where they have this strong belief and they want to convert other people. This is my cult. Start a podcast. You don't have to you know, go to South America and drink poison. Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe, starting now. You're about to get fucking sued is what's going to happen. You want to do bad taste now? Yeah, let's do bad taste. Free on YouTube. I know where it is. Motherfucker. Cat, don't cough and get us quarantined. Oh my god. I'm sorry. People just roll up in here and take us away from our podcast. We can podcast from quarantine. We'll just be quarantined together. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. Like, I don't mind being quarantined. I quarantine myself most days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the doctor's orders. Sorry. Yeah, I need I a vacation. Yeah. At least a month. Can't do it. I'll go. Bad Taste. This is a 1987 independent film by director Peter Jackson. Uh, the only way that we could really find this is actually free on YouTube, which I thought was interesting. And it's not even like a sponsored YouTube channel. It was just some dude's name. So if you search YouTube for Bad Taste 1987, you can actually watch this movie for free. Uh, this was my pick. This was my first foray into discovering true independent films. I'm sure I had seen some like Halloween that we'll talk about and some others. But this was the first film I had ever really seen that was just made by some people with their own money on their own time. And it somehow reached the masses. Uh, it's about a town in New Zealand that is invaded by aliens uh, who are harvesting humans for their fast food restaurant, and that's where I'll leave the explanation. I would love to know what you guys think about my pick this week because it was the first thing that came to mind, and then as the week went on and we all talked about our independent films, I realized that I probably had the most ridiculous pick of all. Well, I like that it's transparently independent, like where the Blair Witch is trying to come off as it's some found footage some real life stuff. Um, the other movies were high produced. You couldn't really tell. This one is like, oh, this looks like a bunch of buddies made this this movie. And that's the charm of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the other ones I feel like this week were very simple in their takes, like very simple, like storylines and like execution. But this one was just so out there. It was just, it was something. That's for sure. This is the, the type of movie that for me, when I watch it, it's exciting and energizing because it, it's so infused with this passion. And you think like, man, these guys made this movie, you know, shooting on weekends for four years on a $25,000 budget. I think they got some, some money later from a, a public uh, film commission in, in New Zealand. Um, but I don't think that anyone, you know, who saw this movie at the time thought, ah, there's a future Academy Award winner yeah. right there. This, <laughs> this guy's going places. I get excited when I see something like that because it reminds me that anyone can do something. If you have 
you know, the passion and the vision and the fortitude and you're willing to spend your money and you're willing to spend all your weekends and all your time off, Mm -hmm. you know, from outside your day job or whatever it is, like, you can get together with your friends and, like, do something cool. Yeah. It reminded me of, like, making movies with my friends, like, back in high school. Like, anytime that we needed to have, like, a project for, like, English class or something. I remember one time I made a zombie movie. I filmed it in, like, Prescott Park <laughs> in Portsmouth. I wish I could find I'm sure it's lost. It's on sure some broken yeah. laptop. Um, but I used, like, Jello for brains, and, like, I made all my <laughs> friends come. And, like, I definitely took the Heather Donahue role, I think, and I, like, got – everyone was, like, trying to, like, have fun. And I'm like, no, you go over <laughs> here, and you need these brains right now. So it was very I, – I appreciated it for the that where I, I I liked all the brains popping out and the alien butts popping out of jeans. And, and now you're a main association of broadcast award winner. Yes, I am. Spring 2015. Thank you. Thank you. This is a, almost like a student film, like the most grandiose student film ever uh, made by Peter Jackson, who made Lord of the Rings trilogy. He made the King Kong remake with Jack Black. Uh, he did a ton of stuff. Frighteners. Um, this Bad Taste was his 12th film. I thought it was his first. What? Yeah, that's what I thought. I watched a, a documentary about the making of it. It was his 12th film. These films are not popular. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. Uh, they didn't blow him up. But even just to get to this, like, very, I don't know. I don't want to say cheesy, um, but it's 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 very campy. It's very cheesy. And he he went on to do crazy things. Heavenly Creatures. Oh, Heavenly I love Creatures that one. Creatures is great. That I was like it. one you of gave, Kate Winslet's. Gave Steve gave first. me that one. That was a Kate Winslet breakout role, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And and not only did Peter Jackson um, direct the film, but he stars in it as the main character, which I was trying to imagine like as how two is of the main characters. That's right. Because yeah. he plays <laughs> one of the aliens. The kicker is if you watch the movie closely, everybody in the movie plays two roles. They all play a human role and they play one of the aliens. Right. And Jackson's scene on the mountain where he's fighting, he's fighting himself. Yes. So it took months of him filming little pieces of that to then go back and edit it all together to make it look like he was fighting himself. I mean, that's dedication. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying to me that this was his 12th film. (laughs) Yeah. Because that (laughs) – It's it's things like that that make me still play music is because, oh, it's his 12th film. He, like, blew up after making 12 – low-budget dirtbag horror movies. Did anybody notice the uh, Castle Rock sign? Yes, mm-hmm. I did notice that. Did you notice that, Kat? No. In one of the first scenes, they're looking. there's like two signs that point to different ways, and one of them is Castle Rock. I mean, it has to be intentional, right? Or maybe it's a place in I New Zealand. I didn't find anything in my research. I, yeah, but I, I noticed it. I just I couldn't find has, anything has to, to, be. to verify it. But it wouldn't make it's sense. It's 1987. Yeah, Castle Rock He's has a been horror long fan. established in Stephen King yeah. horror. For some reason... And, and maybe we're just desensitized, or I am. It was heavily censored when it was first released in a number of countries. And in fact, a bunch of countries banned it. And they, it never got released until The Lord of the Rings came out. What was Lord of the Rings? Like, oh. Like oh, 2001 or yeah, something like that? Yeah, I was going to say 01. So like 14 years later, this movie comes out just because Peter Jack. Can you imagine being a Lord of the Rings fan and being like, man, this old Peter Jackson movie came out. I can't wait to check it out. And you sit down and watch Bad Taste. <laughs> In that, um, the the head, the spinal column going scene. Yeah. I mean, that is an all-time great effects gore scene. Yeah. Yeah, well, he did, he did a lot of, um, he did the acting. He did the directing, uh, a lot of the camera work. 
Uh, he also built all of the the masks for all the aliens, and he did all the practical effects mm. for like the house, where like the house launches from Earth and goes to space and spins around in space. When it's spinning around in space, it's actually a really small model of the same house. They made many different size models, and it was on a turntable. And they filmed it on a record, and they just played the record and had it spin around. And then that's the house spinning in the universe. Like that's the type of shit I could picture us doing, like back when we were in high school with the lava lamps and like the black light posters on the wall. Like, hey, dude, film this real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he he was he did most of those effects inspired by Tom Savini and the alien master in the movie. Dave, you were talking about how he made them all. They actually baked them in his own mother's oven. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and that's they, they the shape of the mask was dependent on the size of the oven. Uh, because he wanted it to be a lot different, but it wouldn't fit in the oven. So uh, the last draft of this mask that was going to be – every alien has the same mask pretty much um, – was just based on the size of his mom's oven and, like, the dimensions. I really loved um, – there's a scene where someone is eating brains out of a head like like a bowl of ice cream. They've got the top of the head lopped off and they're just going in with a spoon. <laughs> Uh, and then there, of course, um, Derek Peter Jackson's character, part of his head, uh, his his brains coming out of the yeah. back of his head, yeah. and he has to like poke. He keeps trying to poke it back in, <laughs> and so he has to start wearing a hat to keep it in. <laughs> and then eventually, he turns to the belt. He straps it with the belt. And Kat, you mentioned the alien butts. There were some alien butts yeah. poking out of jeans. I was really drawn to that. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. I mean, if you like New Zealand comedy. This is also a very hilarious movie, and it has that. Yeah, you know, it's like it re- reminds me of Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really deadpan and obvious and stupid, and I and I thought it was really funny. I'm not I'm not sure what it has to say. Brody. I'm sure we can debate about that for a long. But I think <laughs> I, th- I think the importance of, of of this particular pick or movie is like you said, Dave, the hope. You know, just watching something that somebody who is now one of the most well-established directors, and and I believe those friends that were working with Peter Jackson on the effects and everything also went on to become Weta, which is now one of the biggest effects companies that Hollywood uses. So It's a rags-to-riches story, it really is. Yeah. I loved uh, the character Ozzy, who, who looks like, if you can imagine, a swole heavy metal Richard Simmons. <laughs> I was like, this guy is amazing. I don't know who he is in real life, but did a great job. And also there's like a triple tribute here. You have the Beatles tribute and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Evil Dead 2 tribute. Like for really, I think just for that reason, at some point, uh, Derek grabs a chainsaw. Why? Well, I don't know. I think just to like throw back to those obvious influences on this. Yeah, it was very Evil Dead to me. It seemed very Evil Dead. Suck my spinning steel. And Sam Raimi also started in horror and went on to do Spider-Man. And yeah, the only the only thing that that looking back now is, uh, I I don't know how problematic. Um, these guys they're they're exterminating the aliens. They work for a company called <laughs> Astro Investigation and Defense Service, which is the acronym for AIDS. Which I guess I, I guess was a funny joke to them at the time. It's a little low brow. Yeah, in the middle of the AIDS crisis. Yeah, 1987. 
hey, get this. So <laughs> it's called, and then if you do the acronym, am I right? You know, like, I thought that was funny. Yeah. That's that season on ETs, Frank. Remember, Ozzy, get in quietly, get out quietly. Well, I certainly hope that is the case. Almost everything that they built, or in, in any horror movie, they build these things that are these beautiful sculptures. Uh, there are these replicas, and then they just destroy them, <laughs> like every single time. I know so much they work. Build all, yeah, they build this art, and they put all this work into it, or, that, or they didn't get it quite right. Well, build it again and destroy it again. <laughs> everything that they make, they spend all this time on for this movie, just to be destroyed. And but it's only left. It's left on. Celluloid. You know, also to, to bring it back to, to music, when I got really into music, I started getting into like who produced the record. You know, like, oh, who produced this? And I found that like I was a fan of some producers more than I were the artists. And that kind of came into the, the horror genre uh, a lot because these directors have a, a certain style. And in the early works of Peter Jackson, I mean, his style uh, from, we talked about Dead Alive uh, and Meet the Feebles. This stuff is all like super dark. It's super over the top and super gory. Meet the Feebles uh, makes so many AIDS jokes, like the most. <laughs> well, that's that's sort of like almost a, a dividing line when you start getting really into movies. Because I remember uh, as a kid, my focal point was the actor. Like I would see Road Warrior and Mad Max, and then I would be like, oh, man, I need to see every Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> right, and yeah, I would right. end up watching shit like The Bounty or right. Tim. <laughs> you know, I, and I, like, I don't really like these. Aren't, Huge I, Passion I of the really Christ like, fan. Yeah, I don't really <laughs> like these movies. This is long like, before that, Kevin. But, but then at some point you realize, no, wait, you know, actors are great. I love actors and everything. But you know, if you really like something, you kind of want to look at like who made it. Yeah, it turns out you don't love Johnny Depp, you love Tim Burton. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was interesting. We've, it's not always, I don't think it's always the case. I think sometimes it is, but I do think sometimes you find a director that blows you out of the out of the water and then totally sucks. They, they peaked. It's like you, you, Dave, referring to albums. Sometimes you find this band and they have this one album that's unbelievable and then the rest of their catalog sucks. How is that like Dave? <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to say? No, I'm saying like he's talking about, um, you know, finding, you know, find. I, I don't know. I you. Just well, speaking of music, I, I, like, <laughs> music. I, I loved the um, the title song "Bad Taste" by the band The Remnants, which I which the, is at the end of the movie. Friends. I, I, looked, I tried to... Oh, that's the Rembrandt. The Rembrandt. <laughs> it's a band called The Remnants, and they do the song Bad Taste at the end of the movie. Um, and I tried to find... There's just nothing out there. They have, like, a very bad video, but it's a very, like, typical, prototypical 80s college rock style, like, muddy, like, early R.E.M. And they have a video that's just for this song, the band does, and it has, like, Bad Taste posters and stuff, but they're in their jam space. And one guy... Lead guitar player. He's playing a guitar with no headstock, like one of those. Steinberger. Yeah, and he has a rifle scope on the body of the guitar, and it is like just the most awful, like '80s college rock thing. Uh, remnants, if you're out there, I tried to find your stuff. There's nothing there. It's ironic. You mentioned REM too, which is Isn't a great, it? great example of a band that is one of the biggest, you know, bands ever. 
and they started completely independently just getting plays on college radio stations. I mean, isn't like REM just remnants with less letters? Yes. Good spelling, Dave. Mm. Thanks. I was drunk last week. I'm on. I'm on point tonight. <laughs> Sharp. <laughs> oh, REM. Oh, wow. that's REM, bro. Halloween which is the holy grail for some of us. It's me. I'm the person. Um, You can watch it on Shudder. And it's such a simple premise. And it's just executed so well. And when Lil Baby Cat was watching this poor girl's boobs get stabbed, I thought it was real. And I, I rewatching it now, I didn't realize that you actually see Michael Myers' face at the end of the movie. I completely thought the whole time that he was just faceless and he was kind of he wasn't like the worst looking guy I've ever seen you know he was like I'd let him like hang out with me for a little bit probably maybe that's your new name Cat Myers oh would would you say he could get it I would say he could get it (laughs) Halloweener (laughs) he's got those strong arms those you know forearms I saw him smash in the window you know at the beginning it was great you um, girls just love bad boys. I do. Yeah, what can I say? Look, it's uh, it goes all the way back to episode one. The three of you, Trent, Dave, Kat, all talked about how you got into horror and how it was bad babysitters. This movie has some real bad babysitters. Mm-hmm. So as I was watching it and thinking about like the progression of our conversations in the show, I was like, damn. Like, what a perfect time for this to come up, especially as, like, your indie pick and your holy grail. Yeah. It's like, man, even Laurie Strode in the movie starts off as, like, a super sound person and great babysitter. And then even she ends up sucking and you almost get multiple kids killed. I mean, out of all the babysitters in the film, I think she was probably the best one. She kept those kids alive. Yeah, but the bar is low. It's pretty low. Yeah. Yo, put your coat on. We're going to go get my boyfriend so we can bang in the house while you're here. <laughs> like, I'm just going to drop you off across the street real yeah. quick. Yeah. And, and and Laurie's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll make some I'll popcorn. I'll take another kid. Yeah. <laughs> Where are these parents? What did they have to do so badly that they weren't going to be home all night? What, what Halloween party are they going to? I'd seen this movie many, many times. And I like, I like Halloween a lot. Um, I noticed some things this time that I had never noticed before. Um, and one of them was the soundtrack. It is, it's three different themes. Um, pitched up and down. And you can almost, I think in, in some of it, they're manually pitching it down mm-hmm. during the scene. Carpenter did the whole soundtrack himself. Oh, he did? Yeah, so this is John Carpenter film. 1978, um, essentially credited with birthing the, the slasher genre. Uh, and he, he scored the whole movie. And as well as uh, last year or two years ago's remake, he did the score for that as well. He did not even come close to inventing the slasher genre. But we, yes, we, this, this is, uh, I alluded to this earlier, um, this is sort of one part of horror nerddom is you can always like quibble about who invented what. Some people say that Black Christmas 1974 was the first slasher movie. I tend to think of these things in terms of what brings broad popularity. And, you know, Halloween, I, I don't think anyone can really argue was the one that broke. You know, it's like Blair Witch wasn't the first 
found footage. But the ones that really kick open the door, I don't think there's much of a contest that Halloween was the one that all of a sudden everyone wanted to start imitating. Wow, this independent movie made on a shoestring budget made all this money. Every studio, every guy, every producer is like, write me a slasher treatment. <laughs> well, you know, there's a great loophole is this movie does the thing, and I think it pioneered this thing, the girl finding the dead people. So it's like you don't see someone die. You have them all set up, and you put them on the, the makeup. You have whatever, and you just have them wait there. And then the girl, like, opens the closet, and the body falls down mm-hmm. or whatever. Like that one part in the middle where there's a one girl discovering like two or three dead bodies and it's just like around every corner black (laughs) christmas did that in 74 like very and almost even more slapstick but i thought i thought the murders were pretty for the time pretty serious like the there's a strangula well it's like it starts as a strangulation that one scene and then ends in the slashing i was like damn this is pretty real and like pretty disturbing um there was a lot, and I've seen this movie, you know, my whole life myself. And this is one for me that, you know, you, you watch a movie your whole life, you see it a million times, you think you know it front to back, and you know everything that's in it. But I hadn't seen it in, in a long time, end to end. And there was a lot that, like a lot of these movies, a lot that I forgot. I didn't. I forgot how much uh, Mike Myers drives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a he drives. Yeah. He's cruising around. Yeah. They're like, oh, uh, how does he know how to drive? And the doctor's like, I don't know, some maybe someone in here taught him. It's like, that's right. Yeah, he's like, he can't drive a car. He's like, well, he's doing pretty well so far. Someone (laughs) in here probably taught him. The the other thing too we talked about is like the slow slasher, you know, like the whole well, just run away from him. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that I, I noticed this for the first time. Michael Myers is a slow slasher. That's his whole reputation. But in, in the beginning of the movie, he's jumping over the goddamn car. He's crawling all over things. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened, man? Maybe like, he's just trying to, like, scare. Maybe he's just trying to be more creepy. But he's very, like, fast. He's very sneaky. He's very quiet. Okay. I don't understand so maybe he's running how, like, screen? a 6'2 man can be, like, sneaking into closets and well, no one can see. He's all in, like, dark clothes except for his white mask. So when he's in someplace hiding and then he's revealed, it's like the mask comes out of the darkness. Yeah. yeah. And that that is scary. But there was some too posed for me. Like, there's some scenes that were, like, way too posed where he's in the hallway and his shadowy silhouette is there for just a couple seconds too long. Mm-hmm. When he didn't need to stand there and, like, look ominous, he should have just been attacking i mean if these guys really want to kill like prove it to me i still think (laughs) and i I don't know again trent to your point someone's probably going to call me out that this i love speaking of poses i love when he comes out and knifes that guy to the to the door Mm -hmm. like his feet are off the ground and then he just stands there for like five seconds too long looking at him and then tilts his head Ooh. That to me is an iconic scene. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the we've we've talked a lot about the slow versus fast, whether it be a slasher or a zombie. I think to me, part of the slow slasher that this does is that's sort of the point to me is that they might be slow, and you might run and you might hide, but it's this unstoppable force, and it might not be moving fast, but it is going to get there, and you're not going to be able to get away from it even though on paper this guy like moves you know at like a snail but it, you can't stop him it doesn't matter i mean he he just put out a movie i mean he's been relentless for decades he has not stopped and that i like the ending 
of this. And I'm, I'm not worried about giving away the ending of Halloween. No. Um, <laughs> someone uh, posted, I like posted like a video of me watching it on Instagram and someone commented, they're like, spoilers. I'm like, this movie is so old. I can't tell if you're joking. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like that the whole thing that they've kept up with that. And I think that like Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger kind of like copied this where, oh, he doesn't die. And that's like the mm-hmm. last shot of the thing is like him getting up again. Like he doesn't die. You can't kill him. He doesn't like have that. to be fast. Right. You can't kill him. He's never going away. Speaking of fast, how about the intro of the movie when Michael as a six or seven year old mm-hmm. kills his sister? That was some fast sex. Oh, yeah. He's not going to call her. He said he was going to call. He was never going to call. But oh. it's, it's literally like five seconds. Well, in that, you know? in that murder scene, um, there's a lot of that in the movie where it's just the hands. There's, there's a lot in this movie of that's just from it's through the eyes of the killer. The camera is the killer's eyes. So you're only seeing the hands. You know, now that's done all the time. But back then, uh, certainly Dario Argento, the Italian filmmaker, did a lot of that in his early his early almost more Hitchcock type stuff, the black gloves. You just see the black gloves doing the murders and you're supposed to guess through the whole movie who it is. Um, but that was pretty original. He's looking through the screen door. There's a lot of scenes where the scene is shot over the shoulder of Michael Myers. And so you're just seeing what he's seeing. Um, or there's a scene where, you know, the focus, the, the foreground or whatever the camera's looking at, then into the frame to the side out of focus comes Michael Myers. It kind of puts you in the seat of, of the killer. Yeah, and also the way that it's framed up like you're actually looking through a mask. Like there's the, the holes. Like, I don't know, it's, it's cool. I like the perspective. It, it kind of gives you, it looks like your, your vision is almost obstructed because you're looking through this mask. Mm-hmm. Right. I thought a lot of it reminded me, um, the driving around especially, I thought was really effective. But a lot of it reminded me of like, real life 70s serial killers like i've read a lot of serial killer books and you know the 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 70s station wagon and the scene where they yell at him he slams on his brakes Mm. and the daylight stalking a lot of the stalking in the movie happens in the broad light of day which is not something you see a lot of like he's not hiding in the shadows he's not under cover of darkness he's just right there noontime coming at you. I thought that was pretty cool. It made it very scary to me. It made it a little more realistic. It's very Bundy. And and the cool thing about Michael Myers is the reason why he does hang out during the day and he does stalk people is because his disguise is basically Halloween because everyone's dressed up and he can just mingle in with everybody mm-hmm. and you don't know that he's a killer or if he just wants some candy. I loved uh, the... I guess the cinematography uh, of this movie, all shot on Steadicam. So you right, so you have these shots going up the stairs, and that that's really kind of what allows for the killer perspective thing. To me, it was so effective. That was the thing I was like, man. Again, I've been watching this movie my whole life, and knowing a little bit more now than when I was 15 or something about how movies are made. Some of the shots in this movie, I I don't know how they got. There's a scene early on with the uh, kids on the front lawn and the parents and the camera goes back and up and back and up and up. Like, how did they do that? Does anybody know? Probably like a crane, right? 
that seems. But did they I have guess. the budget for a crane? I don't know. I'm just trying to think. <laughs> <laughs> you asked. You know, the the thing we're talking about, how Peter Jackson started off uh, with a shoestring budget, and he had made this, like, grody splatter fest of a movie, and then went on to, like, he got a big budget and made crazy movies. I feel like John Carpenter, his quality waned a little bit when he started getting big budgets. I like the super grassroots approach to this, the the really honest scares, um, just using shadows and camera angles to scare people. He, he really- Ghosts of Mars? Uh, uh, anyone? Uh, to me, Carpenter really fell off. It was Halloween and The Thing. To, and it doesn't matter because if you do Halloween and the thing, you're a legend forever. The, the movie takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois, but nobody during the sh- filming of the movie, they filmed it in California, nobody thought to change the plates on all the cars. So I think I think they may have changed it in like subsequent edits or something. But if you look, actually watch the cars, all of them have California license. But even though it says Haddonfield, Illinois, like as like a screen credit. Um, speaking of the thing, I don't know if you guys noticed that when Laurie and Tommy are watching horror movies uh, together and like eating popcorn, they're watching the 1951 version of the thing in yes. Halloween. And Carpenter would go on to do the 1982 version of the That's, thing. That was so cool because that was before he made it. And obviously this movie was on his mind. Like you said, Trent, we've all seen this movie, I think, our whole lives. You know, we cat as a small child uh, was traumatized. <laughs> I kept waiting. I, I never noticed where the, he got like the, the, the jumpsuit from, like the, the mechanic suit or the mask. And it's so subtle how they throw that in, where Loomis finds the the auto mechanics truck, oh, and the right. guy's dead mm-hmm. in, in like the bushes. They just quickly pan over to him, and you're like, okay, that's where he got that. And then as Laurie and her friend are driving through town, and her friend's dad is the sheriff, they stop, and there was a break in at the. Uh, I love Pharmacy this about the something. '70s. It's like the auto store, the. Uh, uh, Five and hardware five. store, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and he's like, "Oh, all they stole was like some like a like a, an axe and a mask and hallo- yeah, yeah, yeah. And rope." <laughs> the mask. I'm sure everybody knows this. I know that I'm just being insufferable. Go but ahead. It's a, it's a William Shatner mask mm-hmm. that they bleached. Um, it's but, a very normcore fact, right there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Had to throw it in. And I just actually you know, someone be like, didn't you. know that. You didn't know that, Dave. I did not know it was it's a William a, Shatner mask. Well, there you go. The last point that I wanted to make and kind of open it up is uh, last week on Zombies, Dave, you talked about Romero sort of defining that zombies had existed. There were previous movies. Romero by no means invented zombies. But he sort of set set a whole set of rules in place for zombie tropes. I feel like Carpenter did this for slashers with Halloween, and that's why it is heralded as the the holy grail. Not only of Cats movies, but of slasher movies. Well, the, the era that came following this movie was so many slashers, like Toolbox Murders, uh, My Bloody Valentine, like Friday the 13th. I've heard of that. <laughs> Drilla Killa. Yeah, that sorority house massacre, right? With the guy with the guitar with the drill in the Slumber end. Party Massacre. Oh, Slumber Party Massacre. That's the, and that's the sequel. Um, this and the other thing that this really I felt like was a statement by John Carpenter. One of the lines 
in horror movies is what happens with a family pet. And John Carpenter oh. comes right out there and mm. says, hello, this is something serious. We're not caring about the family pet. And it's a big family pet and a mean family pet. And Mike Myers makes short work. Oh. John Carpenter goes and right he, there. In 1978, he was like, you know what? The dog's dead. time for the horror news just when you thought the news couldn't get any worse we are here to make it so so there has been a recent development in a uh, case from tennessee um back in 2019 there was a guy called roy nelsh he is a tractor truck driver and he was driving down I-94 someplace in Tennessee, and he passed by a woman who was broken down on the side of the road. And he's like, oh, you're out of gas. I'll just bring you to the next exit. Take care of that. Bing, bang, boom. And then he so she's like, sure, thank you so much. You're such a kind gentleman. I really appreciate that. There are great people in the world. I love you so much. And then he starts to drive her, and he goes by exit after exit after exit and she was like hey where what's going on like where are you going she starts like screaming and freaking out and then like he finally like pulls over and then he pulls out a gun and he's like hey i'm gonna kidnap you i'm gonna rape you that's what's happening she starts to struggle with him she manages to grab the gun and then tries to shoot him and the gun doesn't go off and so he pulls out another gun and just bangs her on the head knocks her out so he like wraps her up in a blanket handcuffs her throws her in the cab of the truck um, and then she wakes up and she manages to slip a hand out of one of the handcuffs and grabs the blanket she was wrapped in throws it over his head gets him from behind and starts to choke him out until he finally pulls over. And so once he's finally on the side of the road, she like jumps out, like flags down a car, like trying to get some help. And then he drives away. And so they finally track him down and catch him. And they found two handguns, a stun gun, many handcuffs, uh, bags containing numerous pairs of women's underwear and bras. Um, they also found a lot of digital cameras and laptops and like media storage devices. And on those devices, they found over 10,000 images and video of child pornography depicting violence against small children and then a ledger with lists of names, ages, locations, and descriptions of both women and children. So I think what we're looking at right now is an actual serial killer that has been driving around for 40 years murdering women and children and distributing pornography. So he was recently indicted um, back at the end of February of this year, and he was charged with kidnapping and possession of child pornography and transporting it. But I think we're going to be finding a lot more evidence of this man murdering people all His across the country. Uh, Roy Nelsh. I'm always excited to s discover a new, you know. Excited? Yeah, I'm always excited <laughs> to you know, I, I, discover a, a new uh, artist in this realm. 